Uh, so how was your weekend? My weekend was busy. Yeah? It was good. Lots of stuff going on. It was a busy weekend. And then uh, after church, I raced up to Dallas because it was opening weekend for sure. the NFL. Sure. Yeah, that's so. right. You're a, a season ticket holder, correct? Uh, well, my parents are. Okay. You're the recipient. Wow. You made me sound much wealthier than I actually <laughs> you're am. You're the recipient of season tickets. <laughs> I'm right? the recipient yeah. of uh, season tickets. And so the- How'd the, the game go? Yeah, so I'm a huge I Dallas ask Cowboys. Knowing, the, knowing the results, <laughs> I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, and uh, they were playing the Buccaneers, which yeah. was exciting sure. because Tom Brady yeah. over the summer unretired, uh-huh. and yeah. so I not only got to see my Cowboys, I got to see Tom Brady play. Yeah, um, and and it was a brutal <laughs> game that I. I, th- I thought to myself, I drove a lot of hours to get here and a lot of hours to get home, and yeah. it, I don't know if it was <laughs> if it was worth sitting there for three hours yeah. being angry, but you know, I you win some, you lose some. Angry for three hours. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been more comfortable to sit at That's home right, and yeah. be angry. But I got yeah. to see Tom Brady play, which I'd there never seen him play in person yeah. before, so that was pretty cool. It's a it's a rarity that people get that excited about people being unretired. Yeah, that's, that's a, true. A, an uncommon thing. That's true. I also, I've always, maybe you can explain this to me as a Cowboys fan. How did the Cowboys get to claim the title of America's team? How did that become a thing? Because I see oh, nothing man. about Dallas that to me says this is America's team. <laughs> so if there's, some I don't remember. I mean, it's. I mean, they're one of the original teams that was in the NFL. So yeah, but still, there like must <laughs> there. I there is a story. I can't oh. remember it off the top of my head. All but. Right. We'll just assume it's just Dallas being Dallas. It's just <laughs> <laughs> everything's bigger in Texas, right. so it's we're just, America's team. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back to Beyond Sunday Podcast. This is Pastor David uh, Bowser uh, joining me again. Cassandra Nagel filling in. Uh, Elise and Patrick are both away this week, so Cassandra has generously uh, offered of her time to come and join us uh, in here in the studio, uh, and uh, has uh, even brought a topic for us today. So she helped me uh, find today's conversation that we're going to be jumping into here in a few minutes. So Cassandra, welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you with us. Thank you. Sorry Happy for your to weekend. be with you. That's yeah. okay. It's hopefully the next time will be better. We're on the upswing now. It can only get better <laughs> right, after yeah. Sunday. Pretty much no matter what happens, it was better than that, right? <laughs> That's a good place to start. So I've got a, a funny news story for us. I don't always uh, have the time to find this, but these uh, this one came across my desk and I thought it was worth sharing. So this is uh, from a zoo in Thailand. Do you like zoos? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> okay. I like was, I like uh, animals that you find in zoos. I don't like the concept of zoos. Okay. Even like the ones that are doing like really good conservation work and stuff? Those are better. Okay. All right. Sounds like that's a whole other That episode. is a whole other gonna... topic. So this is a, a zoo in Thailand. I have no idea what their relationship to conservation is, but this is a zoo in Thailand and they have to run drills. I didn't know this, but this makes sense that, that all zoos pretty much run drills for like what to do when an animal escapes. Oh. All right. So like, how do you protect people? How do you protect the animal? Like, you know, these are all things you got to practice like a fire drill, but for a zoo. It's like Madagascar, but in real life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe the people at the New York Zoo should have run a better drill. They could have (laughs) avoided that whole movie. Uh, Anyway, so they were running this drill and they decided to practice what they would do uh, if an ostrich escaped, which I think if I were going to see like an animal running through the zoo, an ostrich would be a pretty cool one because I feel like I'm not terrified of an ostrich. Aren't they pretty fast though? They are pretty fast, but I still feel like I could jump out of the way. They're not going to like attack me. Like, you know, if I see a lion, I'm like, this thing could eat me. The ostrich is at least isn't going to eat me. Hopefully. <laughs> Unless it's really hungry. That's true. <laughs> All right. So let me ask this question. If there were an animal at the zoo that you wanted to see escape, what animal would it be? A sloth. <laughs> because it's so slow yeah. that for it to have been able to escape, 
Somebody. Must must be pointing to some like systemic failure. Yeah, there's which some horrible thing I think that happened. Yeah, that would be the most ironic. Yeah. And so I think or the sloths have been like playing us this whole time, and they're actually like super fast. <laughs> like <laughs> they've just been waiting. Yeah. for their <laughs> biding their, quick their time. Break. This yeah. is our moment. Yeah. All right. So they were practicing uh, uh, the escape of an ostrich, and to do this. Uh, they had one of their zoo employees dress up in full ostrich costume. Oh, no. I'm going to show you this picture because I just think this is uh, just idyllic. And I, I will try to f- see if we can put this on the website. Oh, but my. This guy has like a Marge Simpson style hat on his head in yeah. the shape of an ostrich a head. He's dressed in like black trash bags, has a white paint on his face so as to blend in with the white of the ostrich's neck and is uh, running around in his sneakers. It is one of the funniest things that I've ever seen. And I'm just imagining this guy getting like chased by zookeepers with nets. <laughs> it's like really amusing to me. It's like in uh it's like the musical Lion King the musical how yeah. they wear the Ooh, yeah. the parts of their costume on it their heads kind of like and that. then they paint their faces to match so that it blends in. Except yeah. this is a person in a zoo with <laughs> sneakers right. on <laughs> this is not a they're musical. not getting paid to be on broadway <laughs> no so. i mean i hope th- they're at least getting paid though to be honest i'd do it for free i'd volunteer maybe they're getting the tips ostrich. you know oh, people think it's idea. like yeah. part of a part of a performance at the it's a performance at the zoo. I yeah. Like that. yeah anyway if you had to dress up as an animal to escape what animal would you want to, would you also want to dress up as a sloth so as oh, to prepare no. them for the inevitable sloths are too hairy i wouldn't want to dress oh, okay. up as yeah. a sloth i feel like it would be fun to be a zebra or a hmm. cheetah or like any animal that has a distinct pattern i feel like yeah. that would be fun that's to fair like, yeah the ostrich has the advantage of already being on two legs that's true like to be a, a zebra you have to figure out the You'd front and the back end situation yeah. yeah yeah and every movie i've ever seen tells me that that's complicated so yeah <laughs> that would that's true yeah you'd have to pick a two-legged well i guess any bird you'd probably be okay because your arms yeah, could be true. wings there you yeah. go yeah we could be an escaped parrot yeah or a macaw i think that's a bird a macaw, yeah. yeah. Blue macaw. That's oh. from Rio. Okay, We're there just we go. going through all the animated <laughs> all movies the... today. I think they're both DreamWorks too, aren't they? I think they are. Look at us go. Yeah. Take that, Pixar. Uh, <laughs> all right. So with that, we're going to jump into our actual topic for today. We're not going to spend the whole time talking about escaped ostriches from the zoo, though I probably could. I'll just be honest. Um, but we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, continuing with Cassandra's love of the Dallas Cowboys and the NFL and football and all things. I'm also a big football fan. I tend to be more of a college football fan because historically the teams from Ohio have been pretty terrible up until last year <laughs> when we had a good run. So, Well, uh, for professionally, not for college. Professionally, yeah, 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 professionally, yeah. Which, is, which is why I will cheer for the Ohio State Buckeyes, who in my lifetime have been pretty good. So yeah. anyway, um, but so we're going to talk about uh, Deshaun Watson, his recent uh, suspension from the NFL, some of the things that led into that, um, but particularly uh, some things that the church uh, might, uh, I don't want to say learn from this experience, but how uh, this experience might inform our own dealings with uh, similar situations that happen sure. in the church. Is that a fair way to say Yeah. It? Yeah, I think yeah. that's where we're going to end up. I don't know. Listeners, you can assess. You know, Listen to the end of the podcast and then tell me if that assessment was accurate <laughs> as a description of where we're going. So let's start. Um, perhaps you can help us uh, fill in the gaps here because I'm guessing all of our listeners do not know what's going on with Deshaun Watson. So can sure. you give us like the elevator pitch? Yeah. What has happened? Uh, what went wrong? And where yeah. are we now? Sure. So Deshaun Watson, as many of you living in Houston may know, was the uh, quarterback for the Houston Texans for a number of years. Um, Well-known, well-loved, and um, was accused of like two dozen um, counts of sexual assault and and sexual harassment um, by a number of women. um, And the legal battle and sort of... uh, 
proceedings from that have been ongoing for the right. for the last number of so he it's been over a year i think it's been a while and he's now a quarterback for the cleveland browns he's not with the houston texans anymore Correct. um and he uh yeah so it's go- ongoing he's not been formally i guess he's been charged he's not been convicted at Correct. this point in the Correct. in the court of law he's mm-hmm. not been convicted in the court mm-hmm. of public opinion i think that ship has perhaps sailed but that's a different uh yeah. different bailiwick altogether um and yeah and he's received a suspension by the NFL for right. six games. Six games, yeah. Um, so dozens, literally dozens of accusations of mm-hmm. sexual assault um, and a six-game suspension. I think like a $5 million fine. That could be. I think that I was part remember. of it. There mm-hmm. was some dollar number. I think it was $5 million. Um, in you know, in context, out of like a hundred-plus million-dollar contract that he has, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just uh, off the cuff here, uh, because I'll be honest, I had zero tie to the Houston Texans and very little tie to Deshaun Watson. Sure. And so... I had very little reaction to this in general, just because I wasn't following the story, right? Sure. In, the, in the world of things that were happening, this was not on my radar. So what was uh, you, as someone who follows football and follows uh, football in Texas, what was kind of your reaction to this story as it uh, kind of came to light? Sure. Um, well, I mean, uh, beyond even just like the football perspective, as a woman, mm, sure, I pay attention when this sort of thing That's a great point. comes yeah. out, right? Yeah. Um, and immediately believe the women and immediately have opinions about how things go down. Now, what's interesting is that, um, the, um, attorney who has been working with the, the women, Mm -hmm. um, is from my hometown and his daughter went to school with me. Um, so there's a local connection. And so then like even the name of of separation from this, I don't know about that, but, um, but like, I mean, that has just been an additional layer of like connection. And so, um, it's been something that has been more kind of prevalent within mm-hmm. kind of my community, um, yeah. our awareness of what's been going on. So, um, and as a Dallas Cowboys fan, I am not particularly a Texans fan, sure. but um, I'm cu- have been curious about how the NFL would deal with this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think particularly in um, in the wake of George Floyd, right? Like yeah. this is not only conversation about like sexual assault and sure. like, men harming women but also the question about like people of color right Mm -hmm. like deshaun watson as a person of color right experiences the entire world differently than like his you know white quarterback you know equivalents would so there's a lot of different kind of layers to it that i think make it um a really intriguing but also complicated um kind of situation and story to be following especially as people of faith right and wondering about um where we agree or disagree with how things are yeah so how did you uh, react to the actual suspension itself did this seem like an appropriate uh action taken by the nfl or is this another another in a long string of failures by the nfl mm. to actually follow through on something like what's kind of your gut feeling there well and i think and our article does go into it too what's really interesting to me is that um betting on a game yeah. results in a longer suspension than sexual assault yeah we're gonna um, we're gonna get into that here yeah. in just a few minutes yeah. and so that's an interesting thing to me so um and there has been some sort of public pushback with you know why is it only six games sure. and what does that look like so um i mean if we think about in texas um we were talking just a couple weeks ago right about um um sex offenders right mm-hmm. and like in, te- in the state of texas once you like have been indicated that you're a sex offender that's something that stays on your on yeah. your record for life right yeah. and so how does that affect your employment mm-hmm. um for the average person for the average person yeah. and how does that affect deshaun watson's employment as yeah. a you know multi-million dollar quarterback in the nfl yeah. so um 
it's hard for me not to go into those thoughts about, you know, what if this had been the, you know, average Joe and yeah, and no, I, th- I think that's, things. I think that's absolutely appropriate. I think, um, the average person who had dozens of counts of a sexual assault, uh, brought against them, a probably would not have lasted until dozens before mm-hmm. somebody uh, said something that would have raised enough flags. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and B yeah, probably would not be continuing to make money and uh, right. practicing with their team and playing. Yeah. yeah. Even someone else, you know, of lesser standing on the team potentially right? Uh, within the NFL. So, uh, well, so you did, you mentioned, we've got this article. So this is from uh, Mitchell Atencio and Mitchell, I'm sorry if I'm saying your name incorrectly, but that's what I'm going with. Uh, and it's uh, the title of this article is churches and the NFL share the same sin. And this is from uh, sojourners. Um, and uh, Sojourners is not a, a source that we've used frequently on the podcast. Mm. I think we have pulled a couple articles from them in the past, um, but it's another great resource out there if you're looking for good reads and kind of thoughts on uh, how Christianity is interacting with the culture around it. So that's where uh, this one is coming from. And so Mitchell kind of lays out this uh, idea that uh, Christians, uh, we should have uh, we should have lots of thoughts about this situation. We should be very aware. Um, particularly of our own hypocrisy in this situation. So before we uh, throw stones at the NFL and say, you're not doing enough to um, to deal with sexual assault and to deal with uh, uh, predators of sexual assault, um, that we should be looking inward and seeing, you know, what is the log in our own eye, as Jesus would say, right? Mm. Um, you know, what what is what are the things that we're not dealing with before we are trying to make other people deal with those things? And so that's kind of the, the heart of his article. And also, I think kind of the direction that we're going to be taking this conversation is not just what should the NFL do differently, because neither of us have any impact on what the NFL is going to do. Um, I don't think we're on their like regular listening. Uh, no, nah, uh, we don't list. have them on speed dial. No, though. I mean, I guess I could put them on speed dial. <laughs> it would just be a matter <laughs> of whether true. or not they pick up. Yeah. Um, Get the answering machine every right. time. <laughs> but man, I'm going to leave those voicemails. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what can we then, uh, what can we learn from this experience and how can we uh, handle this as a church? And, mm. and not just as Lord of Life, but as a, a kind of broader Big C Church, right? Mm. What are we doing to address these issues? Um, so he, uh, Mitchell, the author of this article, lays out three areas um, that we're going to get into. And he's going to talk about mammon worship. He's going to talk about the myth of nonviolent sexual assault. And he's going to talk about the search for repentance. And so those are the kind of three patterns that we're going to follow as well. And we're going to start with this idea of mammon worship. Now, we are coming up to uh, the reading, the lectionary reading, in which uh, in older versions of uh, the Bible, not uh, not more contemporary versions, but older versions of the Bible, we actually use the phrase mm-hmm. mammon. This, mm-hmm. is, this is the story where mammon comes from, um, where Jesus is telling a story um, about a, a manager uh, who is told by his landowner that he's going to get fired. And so he goes out and uh, reduces a whole bunch of people's debt before he gets fired so as to try to protect himself uh, when he loses his job so that people will want to take care of him because he doesn't know how to work. That's the premise of the story. And then Jesus comes in, and I don't remember exactly how the quote goes, but essentially uh, says you cannot love God and mammon. And mammon kind of comes a stand-in for our understanding of wealth. Um, It's bigger than that. It's a little bit of a different concept, but um, that is what we're getting at. Essentially, what is uh, the wealth uh, and Mm -hmm. what is the wealth factor that we're playing into? So um, for mammon, uh, if you were going to describe mammon in your own life, what are some examples that you might use to kind of think of like, oh, yeah, this is something I think of as the mammon or the wealth that I perhaps idolize or that I perhaps, uh, you know, can see how we think of this uh, before we think of God? Ooh, that's a great question. Well, I think like our phones mm, sure. are something yeah. that we worship mm-hmm. um, or really any technology, right? Like 
you know, there's this desire to have the newest, yeah. whatever it is, car, model yep. of car or newest computer or, mm-hmm. or I think in this age of technology, that's the first thing that comes yeah. to my mind. Yeah. yeah. Apple came out with their new release of all their products mm-hmm. this past week. And mm-hmm. I told my wife when I got up, I forget it was like Tuesday or whatever day mm-hmm. it was that we got the, the update for my phone. It's like, okay, my only goal of today is to not spend the entire day playing with my like new right. software update. Like I just have to leave that away. I have to yeah. actually do work and mm-hmm. then I will go. <laughs> that was my only goal. And I did it. I, I you know, one success. We got that there you go. But no, I think that's a, a great point. I think that, uh, yeah, Mammon is this idea of what is it that we idolize? What mm-hmm. is it that we lift up as kind of the most important thing? Mm-hmm. And often that includes money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we often uh, kind of uh, connote that with, uh, with wealth or with uh, status there. So um, Mitchell in our article here will say, the NFL is the arbiter of its own sins, and it considers threatening the flow of cash into the hands of the owner, or I would say owners, not violating the rights of others to be the worst transgression. And this is uh, going to get into the example that you gave here. So these are uh, some other suspensions that have been handed down in recent years. Uh, Terrell Pryor was suspended for five games for accepting gifts while he was still in college, which is actually a violation of NCAA rules, but mm-hmm. he was suspended in uh, the NFL for that. Calvin Ridley was suspended for at least a full season for betting on his own team to win, not even betting on them to lose, but betting on them to win for a full season. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins was suspended six games for violating the league's performance-enhancing drug policy and robert Kraft, uh who is the patriots owner uh the league declined to suspend uh, for soliciting prostitution and so here we have this um, model if we uh, lift up um deshaun watson's suspension for dozens of uh, accusations of sexual assault mm-hmm. um versus betting on a game that you're going to win or versus uh, accepting gifts while you were in college when you were not even working for the nfl mm-hmm. all right and the uh, what i would see say uh, the value of what we're uh, placing our um, our judgments on there. So what do you think about that? And let me just kind of get your reaction to those since you were, you brought it up earlier as well. Yeah, it's uh, the NFL is business, is. right? Yeah. So it's a business as, a capitalist as economy. Frustra- yeah. yeah. So as frustrating as that kind of analysis is, I'm really not that shocked by it mm-hmm. because the NFL has to make money, yeah. right? And yeah. if they're not making money, then... Yeah. They're not a good business. Yeah. So that's just the, that's the unfortunate thing. It is. is uh, and here's the, here's the thing that caught my attention, right? Um, if you remember four or five years ago, um, Colin Kaepernick and the, the kneeling during the national mm-hmm. anthem, right? Mm-hmm. There was a public outcry and people started quote unquote boycotting the NFL. We're not going right. to watch the NFL anymore. We don't want to watch these players who aren't going to stand for the flag and whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there was a uh, kind of across the league uh, crackdown on these uh, situations, right? And so um, the league changed policies because of public outcry against this. Mm-hmm. Because we chose as a, as a community and as a community of, of viewers of the NFL to have a public outcry about um, kneeling for the national anthem. Mm-hmm. So there's something in me that says the league would make the same decision uh, if we were choosing mm-hmm. to have a public outcry about uh, actions such as that of Deshaun Watson. But for some reason, we're not. And I think mm-hmm. that, for me, um, gets more to the heart of our issue. Like, this isn't just an NFL thing. The, mm-hmm. N- the NFL is a business, as you said, right? And they're making business decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's tragic, but understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're making business decisions based on their consumers. And we right. are their consumers. Right. And so long as we're going to continue to show up to watch the Deshaun Watsons of the NFL continue to play, mm-hmm. um, and we're not going to demand something different, uh, then the NFL is just going to continue to suspend them for six games and let them come back for the highest rated game of the season, potentially. Right. Because conveniently Deshaun Watson is coming back for the first game against his old team. Mm-hmm. That's a 
subtext to the story anyway um yeah i think that's a great point because uh, i mean yeah it's it's very curious that uh that this is the case and what's really shocking to me is that um we're even getting some of this public outcry now in Mm -hmm. response to the suspension terms right and so um the the outcry is in response to his punishment rather yeah. than in response to like the injustice that initially was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that initially occurred yeah. so and tragically i think this has been the case more broadly uh, when we look at cases of violence against women mm-hmm. um you know we think about the um accusations in the u.s u.s gymnastics program mm-hmm. um or a number of uh even uh, um you know, the Penn State program, uh, when that happened with Joe Paterno, that mm-hmm. was not against women, but against younger boys at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are all these cases where these things have happened. And for some reason, um, within the context of sexual assault, it seems that we are less willing to just take a stance and say, these people that we used to admire have done something horrible and we need to like cut them off. Mm-hmm. You know, six months before Colin Kaepernick kneeled before the flag, uh, most people would have said, yeah, Colin Kaepernick's great. We love it. And he's d- had led his team to a Super Bowl. I think a Super Bowl victory, if I'm remembering correctly, at least a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was a great quarterback. People were really on board with the 49ers. And then he did this one thing out of his kind of recognition of trying to draw, draw attention to uh, racial injustices in the United States. And suddenly he was like cast out from society. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Watson has not been cast out from society in the same way. And I, no. I think that's emblematic of our, our view of this, uh, this stance as well. Mm-hmm. So what are what are comparable situations uh, within the context of the church, not to the the sexual assault side, but to the mammon? What are the what what is the mammon that the church holds on to um, that we're willing to cling to rather than um, lifting up the voices of those who have been injured or hurt or uh, victims? That's the word I'm looking for. Hmm. Victims, yeah. How spicy of a take? What do you got? Do you- I, I, I like think, a little jalapeno. I think sriracha. we, I think we, we, uh, we as a church, and I, I shouldn't say we. As, I think we as like leaders of the church, mm, mm-hmm. um, worship or idolize um, members of our congregation who have been around for a really long time mm. or have really deep pockets. And I think we're, I think we are influenced by members within our congregation sure. um, who have a financial um, stake a greater financial stake yeah. than others. Um, and the result of that often is um, a desire to cling to what has always been, mm, right? Mm-hmm. A cling, a clinging to tradition and this is how it always was. And right, like this is how I was nurtured in the faith. Yeah. So this must be how, you know, the young generations now should be should be nurtured in the faith. Because as long as you're doing it that way, I'll continue to write the check. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah. At least from my perspective, I have seen a struggle, uh, particularly amongst folks sort of emerging from seminary at the same time as me, as like we want to like bring in new life into congregations. But if we lose relationship with with the members who have the money, Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. can't do it. Right. And so how do you like toe this line of like of walking alongside and honoring the hopes and dreams of like the wealthier members of the congregation? but still allowing for space to space for new members to come in who might say, Hey, like I really don't like that. We have to sit and stand all the time because I am someone who has a number of disabilities and like, I find it very oppressive. Right. I mean, there's all sorts of different ways that you can, can yeah. go about it. But, um, 
that's like the first thing that comes to my mind. No, that's a great yeah, point. Tradition. Yeah. We worship tradition, I think. Yeah. I think, I think tradition, I think deep pockets is another way to think mm-hmm. of that. I think we, uh, as congregations, I think we unintentionally worship leadership too. And we, oh, uh, yeah. we, we worship in such a way that we value stability over, uh, transparency. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all of the places where we see, um, the sexual assault uh, situations have mm-hmm. been covered up. You know, mm-hmm. we had the the big unveiling of the the Baptist uh, situation yeah. here in Houston by the Chronicle. Um, yeah. The number of places where this has happened uh, in the Catholic Church, the the one famously in Boston uh, that got uncovered and has had a movie made about it since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and on smaller scales, right? I mean, the Lutheran Church is not immune to this. We oh. might not have had the same uh, kind of international scale of it, but sure. <laughs> we're definitely not immune to it, right? Yeah. Um, and so we want to be aware of that. And I think that oftentimes the desire or the mammon is, and maybe this goes along with the tradition that you brought up too, but mm. the mammon is, well, we need to keep this ship afloat. And mm. so we're going to um, brush this under the rug or we're going to deal with it quietly rather mm. than uh, bringing uh, everybody uh, to a space where they have full voice and ability to pursue justice for something, right? Mm. Uh, we're gonna have people sign non-disclosure agreements or mm-hmm. you know whatever other things might happen there um all in the name of quote unquote preserving the body of Christ sure which you know just to be mm-hmm. clear the body of Christ does not need us to preserve it right sure. the body of Christ is going to be fine right um the body of Christ would much rather we deal with things honestly and openly mm-hmm. and allow mm-hmm. people to pursue mercy and justice in a couple of weeks we're gonna have a uh, the story of the, did we just have it or are we going to, we're going to have it. Uh, the story of the woman uh, who's pursuing justice from the unjust judge. Mm. Um, she's just crying out day after day for mm-hmm. justice, you know, get, grant me justice, grant me justice. And finally uh, in the story that Jesus tells uh, the judge grants justice because he gets weary of her. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, fine, just take it, take it and leave. Um, and then Jesus ends the parable by reminding us, well, how much faster is God going to grant justice, mm-hmm. right? God is about granting justice. God isn't about sweeping things under the rug in order to maintain an institution or dealing with things quietly. God is about granting justice. And I mm-hmm. think we I think we forget that sometimes. And we allow our mammon worship, um, mm. whatever that is, to get in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the author gives the example of uh, Hillsong. Mm-hmm. Um, listeners might not be as familiar, but you you probably are familiar. You just don't know you're familiar, listeners. Yeah. Because, um, like... I don't know, 99.9% of the music that you hear on KSBJ, uh, <laughs> roughly, give or take a few yeah. percentage points, uh, is from Hillsong, right? They're a huge producer of Christian music mm-hmm. um, and, and Christian worship music in particular. Um, and there were, I don't actually know all the details, um, but there are accusations and uh, things brought forth about their founding pastor, if mm-hmm. I'm remembering One correctly. One of their pastors, yeah. Yeah and, uh, um, yeah, and so the question then became, well, do we continue to use Hillsong uh, music and worship right do we continue to support that ministry and i I think that's a reasonable question it's outside the scope of this particular podcast but Mm -hmm. i think it's another place where we think oh well we like this song and Mm -hmm. that song becomes the mammon over dealing with the the issue of justice that's brought forth to us yeah yeah Yeah. well i mean it's the same thing with like chick-fil-a right Mm, like um yeah there's all and well and hillsong too right like those are our organizations or our um groups that support like anti-LGBTQ groups and conversion therapy Mm -hmm. locations and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it requires, um, yeah, internal wrestling with those questions of like, what do I worship? Who do I worship? Um, what, what do I really value? And often our practices reflect what we value. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so let's uh, keep rolling here because uh, we covered mammon worship. So that was number one thing that we might learn from this uh, NFL experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two on his uh, list, Mitchell's list, the myth of nonviolent sexual assault. And I don't think we're going to go deep into this because I-, I think this is pretty clear what he says, but it has fewer like implications into our day to day. But um, the r- the root of this state would just be there is no such thing as nonviolent sexual assault. And I think that right. as a church, we should just all understand there is no such thing as nonviolent sexual assault. And I think if we if we got that into our bones and understood that mm-hmm. that was true, uh, a lot of other things would probably uh, kind of fall into place for us. I don't know mm-hmm. that there's like a major shift that needs to happen other than just in our understanding of the world around us that um, there is no such thing as a nonviolent sexual assault. Mm-hmm. We can just say that over and over. We can repeat right. that. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I don't, anything they want to add to that particular point. This point was, I think really important, but not as relevant for our conversation unless you have yeah. something you want to draw. No, out that's okay. Okay. Yeah. So the last thing, uh, which I think is where we really uh, kind of see the rubber meet the road for us is this search for repentance. Um, and so he, the author uh, brings up a couple of stories. Uh, one of Deshaun Watson's uh, own uh, kind of, uh, we'll call it apology. I'll use that term loosely. Um, statement. His statement in regards to this issue, which he would probably claim was an apology. Um, and he also, uh, the author also uh, compares this to um, a Christian comedian whose name is John Christ. Um, you might be familiar. He's uh, pretty popular for his uh, YouTube and uh, TikToking videos um, of funny things. Uh, there's one that sticks out in my memory of like uh, the fantasy, fantasy pastor draft, where it was like a fantasy football draft, but they're drafting uh, famous uh, televangelist pastors. Oh my goodness. Which is, yeah, it was pretty funny. I enjoyed that one. He has some other uh, things out there, but so he had a, uh, uh, accusations of uh, sexual harassment brought against him. And so I'm going to read uh, this quote uh, from Christ. This was his, uh, his uh, uh, I'll call this an attempt at apology as well. Uh, Chris said, I'm sorry for the hurt and pain I have caused these women and will continue to seek their forgiveness. Um, but going on, he also maintained that he was, quote, not guilty of everything he was accused of, end quote, offering only vaguely that he had, again, quote, treated relationships with women far too casually, in some cases even recklessly, and sinned against God, against women, and the people who I love the most. Now, I will say that that apology is a step up from what we heard from Deshaun Watson, who basically uh, said that none of that was true and he didn't have any regrets in his own statement. So mm-hmm. not great for Deshaun. Uh, and so I think this is a step in the right direction, but I think we're still missing that sense of genuine um, repentance. And so as uh, someone who hears this, um, does this strike you as an apology? Does this strike you as repentance on John Chris or on Deshaun Watson's part, or does this strike you as something else? Well, when I read statements like this, I think about what I, at least for myself, I have always struggled with the difference between thinking and feeling, Mm, Okay. right? And um, like if we were in a disagreement, um, I might say, I feel like you said something rude to me, right? That's a thinking statement, right? I I said, I feel, but what I'm trying to say is like, you said something that hurt me. Mm -hmm. And so that gets at the intellectual things that we're going through, but it doesn't get at the core kind of emotion behind like why that statement caused me hurt. And so what I hear in this is a lot of like intellectualizing or sort Mm -hmm. of thinking Mm -hmm. through the situation itself, right? Naming the people who are involved, naming that relationships were harmed, but the actual sort of emotions behind that are not, Mm -hmm. I think, as clearly articulated. Um, And so that to me is where the difference between like an apology and like a statement about the situation Mm -hmm. kind of comes there. There's some separation for me because 
yeah i think in the in the act of of seeking forgiveness right like uh, it's a it's a whole body mind spirit practice to seek forgiveness and so if we're only kind of intellectualizing forgiveness um are we actually having any like heart and spirit change i'm not so sure so that's yeah the the thinking feeling difference yeah and i I think this is yeah i think you're using the word forgiveness i think that's helpful because for me as i'm hearing this right um, I'm not looking for uh, Chris or Deshaun to express forgiveness, right? Mm. They're not the ones who need to express forgiveness. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who need to express repentance. Mm-hmm. And both of these statements for me fall far short of mm. repentance. Um, I think they both uh, fit the the mold of kind of, as you said, a legal statement, right? This is sure. a statement guided by lawyers who have said, this is what you can mm-hmm. legally say without implicating yourself so as to uh, appear before a jury and potentially still get off, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, evidenced in what is here, right? That I can say, well, this is regret or there's this regrettable that people were harmed, but I was, I'm not guilty of what I was accused of or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, uh, or uh, the things that I've been accused of are not uh, entirely true. And so we, we are in this complicated place um, as a culture and as a, and as congregations where we deal with um, the rapid nature of, of news and of accusations coming forth. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and our legal system does not operate that fast. And so, as we kind of mentioned earlier, right, we often convict people in the court of public opinion before we're actually convicted in a court of law. Mm -hmm. And that leaves us in a really tricky place because we want to believe and support uh, victims. And I think that's the right uh, place to find ourselves. Mm -hmm. But from a legal capacity, um, that's not how our legal system works, right? You're innocent until you're proven guilty. And so we're left with a lot of these um, Mm -hmm. uh, empty statements from people because they're still innocent until they're proven guilty in a court of law. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think that is... A thing that we need to be aware of as the church that we, we can't change that right i'm mm-hmm. not going to go out and say we should just assume everybody's guilty until proven innocent that's a whole different type of government which i don't think we want to live under right yeah. um but i do think that we need to have this this balance which we have not held between believing and uh trusting the word of victims mm-hmm. and also understanding that that does not automatically mean conviction in a court of law mm-hmm. and holding those two things in tension is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's easy for me to say that um, because I'm a white male, right? And mm-hmm. it, it's far easier for me, who's probably statistically not likely to be a victim of sexual, sexual harassment or sexual assault, right? It's easy for me to say, well, that's what we should be doing mm-hmm. um, versus someone who's you know dealing with this on a more regular basis or someone who's actually been a victim of this and has not been believed. It's, mm-hmm. it's far easier for me to stand in that. And so I just want to recognize that too. Um, yeah, thoughts or responses to that as we kind of continue to dive into this idea of repentance a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate you lifting that up because I, I think in the in the disconnect between sort of our our hope for society and the way that our legal system is mm-hmm. enacted, mm-hmm. in the waiting, right, that is where the discomfort comes yeah. out, right? Yeah. Like we have to wait um, in the unknown mm-hmm. of is he truly guilty or is he, you know somehow miraculously innocent right right? and so the discomfort of sitting in the unknown um i think especially for us as as christians right Mm -hmm. um can be really unsettling yeah well and there's this middle ground too right where we might look at a situation say he's absolutely guilty of x y and z Mm. but eventually he's found not guilty because of factors a b and c right Mm -hmm. um because there are rules about what you have to produce as far as evidence and things Mm -hmm. like that and how Mm -hmm. things have to be handled. And so maybe someone's absolutely guilty of what we think is inappropriate or what we think is sexual assault, but they're still found innocent in a court of law. Right. Um, And we have to, 
we have to figure out how to wrestle with that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the author, Mitchell, again here, uh, to come back to his point, he argues um, that uh, these kinds of statements are actually attempt to weaponize a Christian culture of unending forgiveness. So I just, first, I just want yeah. to get your response to that statement, like uh, this idea of weaponizing a Christian culture of unending forgiveness. How does that strike you? How do you what are you hearing in that? Yeah, um, I think it's a pretty smart claim because okay, uh, I think uh, as much as the United States has a lot of multicultural and multi-ethnic um, layers to it mm-hmm. um, from a kind of uh, core like governance perspective I think is really influenced by the Christian church sure. right like yeah, the Christian church is sort of the overarching mm-hmm. um, theological influence mm-hmm. within our a lot of our cultural and societal systems so um, thinking about the situation from a like PR standpoint or like a law standpoint, absolutely. Like you should weaponize the fact that yeah. most people who are engaging with this are Use probably it. Christian yeah. who are probably like affiliated yeah. with a branch of Christianity that is non-denominational. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can sort of take that stereotype that is seen so often throughout the entire country um, and tap into some of those core values and practices of that mm-hmm. of that tradition mm-hmm. um, in order to influence the public outcry right yeah. and the way in which the public is or is not responding to yeah. it so um, I appreciated that his claim about that because I think yeah. it makes sense if yeah. I try to kind of think my way through it yeah the, uh, the tragic thing that I always exp- or think about when we get to this kind of story is that I feel like Lutheranism has unfairly contributed to this to this uh, sin of the church right mm-hmm. um, because we so emphatically emphasize god's uh, free gift of grace right mm-hmm. um you know week after week i stand uh, before the congregation and say there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of god right mm-hmm. god has already forgiven you god has already welcomed you back to the table what you know however we want to phrase it mm-hmm. you know that is our message all the time this is a free gift there's nothing you do to earn it there's nothing you do yeah and so then we assume not entirely errantly, but we assume that we're supposed to offer that grace to other, that forgiveness, I should say, that forgiveness to other mm. people as well. And so we hear even like a nod at an apology, particularly mm. towards something that makes us a little uncomfortable. Mm. And we're like, oh, excellent. They've apologized. We can, you know, yep. all, is, all is forgiven. We can stop talking about You're it. You're going through the checklist, That's right? right? Yeah. Yep. Thank God. Yep. We don't have to talk about this ever again. They've mm-hmm. apologized and everybody can move on. Everybody's better, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you victim, you're better now, right? They kind of, they kind of, they acknowledged, you know, mm-hmm. that there was, you know, maybe they did something wrong. They acknowledged that yeah. you're better now, right? And yeah. we can stop talking about it. Um, there's even been a, a trend. Uh, I don't want to say a trend. That makes it sound like people are doing it intentionally, but there has been a pattern recently mm. um, of, you know, when pastors uh, have been accused of these uh, sexual misconducts or whatever that might be, that they apologize before their congregation and the congregation gives them standing ovations um, for their apology, right? Isn't it mm. so beautiful that this pastor got up in this moment of vulnerability and shared kind of maybe that he almost did something a little bit wrong, but really, isn't mm. it really great that he asked for forgiveness? That's really the beautiful part of the story, right? And we put all our emphasis there. And I think, you know, it's not at the feet of the Lutheran church, but I think that our understanding of grace has contributed to it uh, sure. to an extent. Um, and I think one piece that we're missing uh, from our, our Catholic brethren um, is this idea of accountability for our actions. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that God has not already forgiven you, right? We can mm. stand in, in the room and say, yes, God has already forgiven us. Mm-hmm. 
but that doesn't mean there's not accountability and uh, consequences for actions that we take here uh, in this life, right? Mm-hmm. Because your your actions have implications on other people. Um, and it, so it feels like these statements that we get from people like Chris or from uh, people like uh, Deshaun Watson uh, and the reaction, more importantly, the reaction that we get from congregations is rooted in this idea of um, jumping to forgiveness without seeking any accountability. Whereas like if you went to confession and granted, I'm not Catholic, so I've never been to confession, but this is what I've learned from more than just movies, but mostly movies. Uh, you know, if you go to confession, the priest tells you like, oh, well, okay, you have to do these things. And it's a penance. Yeah, you have a yeah, penance. you have a penance. Mm-hmm. You have to pray this many prayers or, you know. Yeah, you do six Hail Marys, right, three or, Our Fathers. And or yeah. give so much to a thing or walk mm-hmm. to it, whatever. Right? You got to do something, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think that we have to do that to earn God's grace. Mm. I think that we are freely forgiven because of the death of Jesus Christ. So I don't think that people need to come and confess and we need to assign penance. But I do think there are consequences in this life for the actions that we take against other people. Mm. And we should uh, be more willing to hold to those consequences to say, okay, that's uh, that's lovely, Mr. Pastor, that you apologized. It's usually Mr. So I'm going to go ahead and feel comfortable <laughs> with that. Uh, Mr. Pastor, that you apologized kind of maybe for this thing that you are doing. But we're also not going to stand here and applaud you. Mm. Um we're going to acknowledge that you said this apology and now we're going to hold you accountable for your mm-hmm. actions and we're going to ensure that you cannot do this to someone else. Yeah. That you cannot resume a position of power that would allow you to do this again. Mm-hmm. And I, that feels uh, faithful to both the victim and frankly faithful to the perpetrator. And that oh, yeah. uh, you are removing the perpetrator from a position in which they could hurt someone again. And I think that's mm-hmm. actually faithful to the perpetrator, mm-hmm. even if they might not see it that way at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Well, that's what, I mean, Bonhoeffer talks about it, right? Mm-hmm. When he talks about costly grace right yeah um it is not forgiveness without repentance i mean there it's there's these they go together right yeah. it's not uh they can't separate it's them. another great both and right it's another it's a classic uh, lutheran situation yeah. See, both look, and. full circle we come right back to luther every yeah. single time so where does the church go from here right we're not the nfl and and we can't change the nfl and we're tragically not on their speed dial list so they're not calling us up for advice mm. um we're probably not going to have any impact on what deshaun watson does or doesn't do though if it's up to me i hope he loses every game this season and not just because he plays for the cleveland browns but partially <laughs> because he plays for the cleveland browns um but what do we do like what do we do in our daily life what do we do as a church how do we make um a difference uh, in how we respond uh to perpetrators and to victims of sexual assault what do we do yeah well that's, that's, right. a, that's, small a, that's a simple question. yeah it's no big <laughs> it's deal like, right? wow thanks yeah well i think uh, i think the even the language of your question is important right because the question is how do we respond and i think the the first thing is to respond uh, right yeah, sure um i mean we talked earlier you know about the lack of response after these um you know these like apologetic statements are spoken or are released and so um i think it it takes intentionality and energy and effort Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. like not forget that this has happened and not be um complacent right but to actively um respond and that could look a lot of different ways and i think the gift of the elca is that we have a I mean, our, we have so many congregations and so many, I think, um, all our, our congregations have such different identities and different social locations and different perspectives about, mm-hmm. like, I mean, just come from all different sorts of angles. So I don't think it's a, it's a, you know, one set recipe for any community of faith, but, um, in my mind, not responding is yeah. like the most egregious thing 
we can do. Yeah. Because then we're forgetting, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I think in not responding, we are we are by default supporting the perpetrator. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't remember who it was uh, that said it. And you might remember the quote, but essentially like um, silence in the face of oppression is oppression, oppression. itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that, you know, sil- silence in the face of sexual assault, right, is you're basically saying, oh, well, it's okay. Right. And, and I don't think that's any of our intention. Oh, uh, no. And so I don't want to be clear. I don't think we're doing that purposefully, but I think that is a message that gets sent. Mm-hmm. And one of the tragic uh, things that I've been hearing, I'm um, just in uh, courses that I've been taking and, and articles that I've been reading, is that uh, people are uh, increasingly less likely to come forward um, mm-hmm. because of the situation. That, you know, there was like kind of this wave, uh, if we want to remember, you know, back uh, in Me Too what, yeah, 2016, mm-hmm. the Me Too and the Church Too movement of like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. everybody's got, but then the backlash to that in so many mm-hmm. ways. Uh, was so vehement uh, mm-hmm. that it's really the concern now is that people are less likely to come forward because they don't feel like their church is a safe place to admit that this thing has happened, yeah. um, whether it happened in the church or not, right? They just right. don't feel like the church is a safe place. And that mm-hmm. that is heartbreaking for me. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's one thing the church should be, it is a safe place for you um, to pursue the justice that is rightfully yours, right? You shouldn't have to feel like the woman day after day going and shouting to get justice. You should be um, knowing that God desperately wants to grant you justice and the church should be mm-hmm. uh, advocating on your behalf every single day to do that and so um yeah i don't i don't know how to fix it um yeah. but, I, I, but i want us to be places where we share that story um we share that story openly with the intent of bringing about justice yeah um and i want to be clear on what i'm saying justice i'm talking about god's understanding of justice i'm not talking about whatever legal system mm-hmm. is in place, right? I'm, uh, you know, within the context of the church, we have responsibilities to pursue a kingdom vision. Mm-hmm. And uh, that looks different than the world we live in in a lot of different ways, uh, including how we handle these sorts of things. Yeah. I, uh, it's September, and so it's um, uh, Suicide Awareness Month. So I've been mm. reading the social statement on suicide, and um, in that also have been reading more and... Uh, have been thinking in your reflections, thinking about how like it's very, it's much less likely now for folks to report um, incidents of sexual assault. And that's even less likely if the person is a member of the queer community or is a Mm. person of color um, or is a youth. And so um, what I think is especially convicting um, is that like as the church, right? Like if we truly want to bring about God's justice, it means probably for most white you know, predominantly straight congregations in the ELCA is that we have to lean into the discomfort of mm. being in more intentional and deep relationship with, yeah. um, with our immediate neighborhood communities, which are not, you know, homogenous, right. Mm-hmm. That are multi-ethnic and multi-faith, um, and be like, be welcoming spaces for students and for, for people who identify as LGBTQ plus, because, yeah. Um, those folks even more likely are, are are probably not going to be reporting incidents of sexual assault and also are much at much higher risk, right? Like black mm. trans women are the most likely demographic in the United States to yeah. um, experience sexual assault. So how are we as a church? I mean, they're all, all of these kind of social Layers, issues yeah. are connected. Um, yeah. yeah. And our call to, to respond is one that is um, large but i think it's holy work mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's a word for that and I'm, it's inter something but i'm not remembering what it is inter uh, intersectionality intersectionality thank mm-hmm. you yeah that was i couldn't quite get there yeah. uh yeah and uh, i think that's a, a really helpful point and so how do 
how do we as the church meet people in the intersection? Mm-hmm. I think is maybe the way to think of that, right? In all these places where our culture comes together, um, how do we as the church continue to show up and mm-hmm. and be a voice uh, and be um, a comfort, right? Yeah. Um, I used to say um, that I wanted to be a voice for the people who didn't have a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I still think that's true in some cases, but someone uh, rightfully corrected me and said, you know, oftentimes people have a voice and no one's listening. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we don't need to be their voice. We need to... Amplify. be the one who we need to either amplify or we do need to be the one who shuts other people up so that mm. they can actually be heard and yeah. i think that's helpful for us too um to think about how that happens so uh yeah our uh i don't know deshaun watson i don't know what to do about that i don't know either but it's not our responsibility to, to case, worry about not, his yeah. uh, you know legal yeah. implications but um i think certainly being attentive to what's going on in more secular contexts right yeah. um is important for our own sake for informing how we go about yeah. um, bringing about justice within the church right there it is yeah. yeah thank you well thank you for coming on today for being my with pleasure us. appreciate it yeah thanks for having me yeah one of these days we'll get you in with the whole crew yeah that would be fun yeah. we'll have to get extra chairs and oh yeah an extra microphone we'll and bring in a pizza or something it'll be great yeah i don't know if people want to hear us chew they absolutely do not recording. but we'll do it anyway <laughs> okay we'll, we'll eat in between uh recordings it'll be fun yeah all right, so hey, if you enjoyed uh, this episode, uh, you can find all of our, uh, I'm saying episode a lot. If you enjoyed this piece of content, you can find all of our other episodes at beyondsundaypodcast.com. And of course, uh, send us your thoughts on uh, this uh, today's uh, reading or any of our other articles. Uh, send us your questions, your thoughts, your reflections. How do you think uh, the church might be doing a better job of responding to sexual assault in its uh, in its midst or in the community? We'd love to hear that too. Uh, you can send those thoughts to beyondsundaypodcast at gmail.com. So with that, we'll see you next week. Bye, y'all.